Welcome to the Bigger Cashflow Podcast, where we interview business owners and real estate investors that share tips and tricks on how to grow your cash flow and reach financial freedom. What's up, you guys? Welcome to another exciting episode of the Bigger Cashflow Podcast. Today, we have Ross Yeager on the show. Ross is an engineering professional in the San Francisco Bay Area who has recently moved his focus to the real estate industry. His interest in leveraging his professional income outside of the traditional and risky stock market and non-liquid 401k has allowed him to take charge of his future through passive income real estate sources. He currently focuses on the acquisition and management of single family and multifamily properties, accumulating approximately $1 million in assets under management with over $100,000 in annual revenue in just under a year and a half. He currently invests in the out-of-state markets of Texas and Philly and also provides mentorship to those seeking guidance and remote investing. With that said, we'll welcome Ross to the show. How's it going, man? Hey, Bo. Thanks for having me on here. It's exciting. Um, yeah, finally uh, get on online on the call with you. Yeah, very happy to have you on the show. I know we've been social media friends for a while now. And like Jim Rohn always says, you're the average of the five people or five friends around you. And I always like to have investor friends in my circle so I can check on what they're doing, if there's anything that I can learn from them and continue to be motivated. And it's just amazing to see how much you have grown your portfolio in such a short period of time. So before we dive into it, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about your background and what you currently do? Yeah, so um, currently I'm a software manager at a startup out here in Silicon Valley. So um, I actually work on autonomous drones, which is a pretty cool subject. Um, I definitely love what I do as a day job. Um, but, you know, as I've continued to kind of grow in my career and, and kind of in my savings, that, that's, that's when I first started kind of thinking about, okay, what do we actually want to do here? And what's, what's kind of like my long-term financial goals? Um, I've always been, you know, into the stock market and, you know, been investing um, in your typical routes with kind of like your typical advice there, you know, put everything in the 401k. Um, yeah, like, and then focus everything towards retirement, really. Um, and, but I started kind of thinking like, okay, there's, there's gotta be more out there. You know, what, what, what can, what do some of the most successful people do to, to get where they want to be with their financial goals? Um, and that's where I started to look at real estate. I think it's a, it's an obvious place where a lot of people end up looking. Um, and, and that's kind of how I first started looking there. And, um, I think like a lot of people, I, I just started diving in and, and just learning a lot. Um, and, and podcasts, as, as I'm sure you would agree, is just a, a great place to, to dive in and learn. Um, and, and so that's kind of what I did. I, I, I started, in fact, actually, that's how I, I got first connected with you, I think through uh, Lane's uh, podcast and, and his group is how we got connected originally. And, and I, I saw I was basically a, a year and a half kind of behind your journey. And um, that's been super inspirational for me, um, just seeing how you've been able to grow and scale. And, and for me, it's really motivating. And that's been actually a, a really big factor there because I feel like we have come from di- similar backgrounds and, and kind of have the same goals. So 
um, that's that's been really exciting from my perspective. But yeah, so just diving into podcasts, um, picked up some books, and and just really tried to learn the fundamentals of the game, um, and then what we could kind of do. I, I live in Silicon Valley, which is um, similar to your area, one of the most expensive places to live um, in terms of real estate that, that it gets. So unlike you know the opportunities that other people might have in their backyard, that definitely wasn't going to be a possibility for me. And so um, that's when I started to look like, okay, so what are my options there? And, and uh, if I wanted to do this myself, like what does out-of-state investing look? And, and that's kind of how I got started. And I started, you know, following other people who were, who were doing similar things. And, and that first stage was, was the educational piece. Um, and then uh, fr from there, things, I, I started kind of like building up enough courage to try to like, let's have a goal to take some action on that. And um, that's when I first, I, I think this evolves similar to like how a lot of people do, but you start looking at turnkey and what are kind of like the, the institutional level um, players in the game, uh, similar to like what you see Roostock and some of these other uh, kind of, yeah, large institutional turnkey providers. And, and that's kind of what I thought was the best that I could do. Um, so I was pretty excited to see that. And I, I really learned like, what the you know underlying fundamentals of real estate investment were through podcasts and 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 other you know like talking with other people, um, and actually that that is one thing I ended up doing is I, I'd listen to a podcast and every time I listen to a new podcast I'd contact the uh, any of the the guests that were on the podcast and just basically say like if if they would take my call I'd I'd, I'd set up an appointment and I'd go talk with them and. I was able to learn a lot of things that way. And, and then that's kind of how I ended up getting my first connection for my actual real estate purchase, which ended up being out in Philadelphia. Um, but getting a little bit ahead of myself here, I, I still was looking through like turnkey providers. Um, and that's kind of where I, I decided to go. Um, and, and I looked at Roofstock was the first place I, I looked. Um, this was kind of the earlier stage. So like I said, like about a year and a half ago, um, where roof stacers kind of roof stock was just kind of taking off. Um, and if you look at the deals there, they're really not great deals. And um, they, they might be decent for, for someone, you know, just getting started. But um, I actually went into contract with one and it ended up falling through. And it was like the best thing that could have happened to me because that, that kind of opened up the, the next opportunity where, where I ended up actually working with, you know, kind of the full process of finding an under, underdeveloped property and then basically implementing a burr. Um, but so, so yeah, the, the, roof, the roof stock property fell through and that's when I, I kept get doing connections on social media and, and actually through Instagram, I met my would be uh, basically general contractor and through, through, through that connection, started vetting that connection. Um, he, he developed out in Philadelphia area. Uh, he, he would provide a service that was not quite turnkey, but a service where he would effectively wholesale me the property, manage the construction, and then um, also had a property management group. So it was kind of of this turnkey solution where I was taking on more risk because I was actually buying the asset and taking on the risk of, you know, having a, um, a pretty beat up property to start that we we're going to renovate. And so that's where I was able to, to leverage more return out of the, those properties and then um, also had kind of a, a, a turnkey experience. So that was, that was my first property. I ended up purchasing a duplex out in Philadelphia with this group. And uh, that's how I got in the game. Nice, nice. 
there's a lot of good nuggets there. So let's break it down a little bit for our listeners. Sure. I'm pretty sure like what you just summed up in, in that short three to four minute um, story there, I can probably have multiple podcast episodes because there was so much good information because a lot of my listeners currently listening to this podcast, they either have read Rich Dad Poor Dad and they, they want to and they know that real estate investing is right for them, but they're just stuck in the analysis paralysis. And what I want them to understand from Ross's story is if building a real estate portfolio, whether it be in your backyard or out of state, is like building a great wall, you don't go out there. And Will Smith said this in an interview. You don't go out there and say, hey, I'm going to just build this gigantic, fantastic wall from day one. You go there each and every day and you lay one brick as perfectly as you can. You lay another one, a, another one. And before you know it, like Ross in a year and a half, you will have built this beautiful wall. So as he was talking about it, I was just kind of taking that notes down. Like what is Ross's brick that he placed down? Well, it was first making a decision that, hey, I'm not going to invest in the stock market or 401k. I want to take full control. That's one brick. Another one is looking into roof stock, educating yourself, listening to podcasts, calling all the guests on that podcast. These are all wonderful bricks that he laid down. And before you know it, he was off to the races finding his contractor on social media, you know, that's 2020 for you folks, and doing his first burr remotely 2,000 miles away. So please take notes on what just Ross just said, because if you are stuck in that analysis paralysis, this is exactly what you have to do. Success leaves clues, and Ross just laid a bunch of breadcrumbs for you guys to follow. It's not, hey, I want to go out there and buy properties, and you just go guns blazing. You have to put in the work. Uh, it's not a get rich quick scheme. You got to build relationships, do the analysis. And before you know it, that fear is going to be gone because you have spent the time. For those of you who are listening to this and saying you're fearful, I don't know what I'm doing. That's because you haven't put in the time to educate yourself. Do you have anything to add on that, Ross? Um, yeah, I, I think it really is key. Like you said, it's very easy to get in that analysis paralysis stage where um, you know, no deal is quite perfect. And honestly, I, I feel like in reality, no deal ends up being quite perfect. And so um, even from people who have been doing this for a long time, like, like uh, I guess, I, I don't know if a year and a half is a long time, feels long at this point, but it's not. But yeah, so there, there's, there's just always going to be something that some sort of excuse that you can use to not take a step forward. And the way I kind of did it is like, minimize your risk, but move forward in, in that sense. And um, yeah, for me, Roofstock was the first place where I looked where this was happening. And, and to be fair, like there are, there are some good deals on Roofstock. And I spent tons and tons of time because I had the education that I built from talking to people and the podcast to make sure I was getting those numbers um, that I actually, you know, wanted to target, which, you know, I was looking closer to 20, 20% cash and cash return, you know, kind of the things that I'm still targeting. And, and I was able to find a property on there, but it took a long time lots of research, not using the tools that they necessarily provided to, to, to dictate what a return looks like and, you know, creating my own spreadsheets for a particular zip code and, you know, getting into all the details on that. And, and I think that, that would be, that would be one of the things that I, I would encourage people to do is kind of target in on a, on a place where you are interested, you know, that, that can cash flow and also potentially has some bonus appreciation on top of that. 
And then once you do have that, really get to know that market and, and get to know the financials associated with that market. For me, that looked like creating a spreadsheet where I can go in and punch in a couple of key numbers and then get out all of my key stats. And, and as, as, you'll, as you'll realize over time, a lot of these key stats like cap rate, cash and cash return, um, you know, GRM, like a lot of these, these terms like on their own don't necessarily, you know, say a deal is good or bad. But just being able to have one place where you can get a collective set of stats where you can then use that to analyze a deal in addition to, you know, kind of having that general intuition about the, the neighborhoods and area. That's what I think is really key. And if you give yourself that education in the background, then that, that kind of takes away some of these excuses of moving forward. I love that. And I'm smiling over here because I still remember Rootstock was actually one of the first platforms that I looked into. I was looking into investing maybe in REITs like Fundrise and all of that mm -hmm. um, equity shares or whatever. And then I was like, hey, I can actually buy a Midwest property for $100,000. So I still remember how excited I was looking at different properties on Rootstock, downloading the inspection reports. I'm like, it's all there. It's all in one place for me to invest in. And like you, I actually did not end up purchasing from Roofstock, but I kind of, I don't know if this is a good example, but I kind of attribute to like online dating, right? A lot of, there's a lot of apps out there these days. There's match.com and whatever your preference is. I know a lot of friends who have had success. They met their significant others, even get married and have a nice family. It's because there's a lot of transparency, like they tell each other what they like, this is who I am, this is what I do, you know, show pictures of each other. I don't know how accurate that is, just like home buying, right? You don't know how accurate the pictures are, but I digress. Yeah. <laughs> like on Roofstock, even though you might not be purchasing that property, like Ross says, it's a great opportunity for you to practice your underwriting. And it might take you a hundred deals to go through and to find that one. It might go through a hundred, you know, potential dates to find that one spouse for you uh, or significant other. It's the same thing. You don't know what you don't know, or you don't know what you don't like until you start analyzing and underwriting and get to know the market a little bit deeper. So that's kind of like my example that I could probably correlate to real life for some of you listeners. So like Ross says, Start underwriting, practice your due diligence so that when that right one comes, you can make an offer on it and lock it down. Any advice on that? Yeah, and, uh, I just, uh, just following up on Roofstock, I actually decided when I started to kind of blog my, my journey as I went through that. So um, if anyone is interested in kind of like what I saw as the, the pros or cons of that, that, that is available on my, the blog on my website. Um, awesome. And that has a lot of details of exactly kind of what I went through. Nice, nice. So, uh, you know, kind of going down memory lane, how long did it take you, just to estimate, from making a decision to researching to buying that first property uh, in, in the uh, out-of-state market? Yeah, so um, I guess I started the roof, roof stock journey probably, I, I, I'd say, sometime in May, I believe. And then um, that went through through September, I believe. So I, I, I went through a couple months through there, actually went into a closing, fell out of closing, learned a ton as we just talked about, um, then, then got into contact with my, um, with, with this other contractor and um, basically did my due diligence on him and, and the market and then just hopped right in. So I'd say after the roof sock thing fell through, 
I was ready to go. And um, we, we moved within about a month or so. And, and that first property was a cash purchase. So I, I did that to minimize risk there. I wanted to take, you know, limit, limit the, the new things that I was doing this time. So I didn't, didn't want to use private money or anything like that for the, the transition. So just bought it all in cash. Um, and, and we did the, the construction in about two, two and a half months. Um, and at that point, I guess to, to get in the numbers, because I always think that's kind of fun, um, purchased the property for 98K and then put in 18K of renovations and then um, have an ARB of, of 140. So left a little bit in, wasn't quite a, a perfect burr, but for my first deal was very satisfying and um, you know brings in 1800 a month at that point. So pretty, pretty exciting first property for me. Um, and I'd still consider it one of one of my best ones. Um, yeah, no, I think you did a great job. I feel like on your first deal, if you don't lose money, that's a that's a win, right? You're like exactly, you said, yeah, yeah. I, I love what you just said earlier was minimize the risk but keep moving forward. That's the key thing. You don't want to put yourself in such a big hole where you're taking ten steps back and it takes you ten years just to get back to square one, right? But if you can yeah. take one step ahead just minimizing a lot of the risk, then it's, you're winning. Cause whether you do a deal or a small deal or not even do a deal, you still learn in the process, but you got to continue to move forward. So with that, exactly. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. I was just going to say another thing is with, with that, with that particular contractor, they provided a one year warranty on their work. Nice. Um, so that was another thing that was really, um, you know, that, that was another way I was able to limit the risk there. And that, that was a little bit negotiable as well. So, so that, that was very encouraging. And at, at that point, you know, that, that was what gave me the confidence to go ahead and dive in. And it was very exciting. Great job. Great job. If you're like me looking to diversify your portfolio across real estate and stock, Weeble is a comprehensive app that allows you to trade ETFs, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and crypto using a brokerage account, IRA, or 401k. Go to biggercashflow.com Weeble to get free stocks when you sign up using my referral link. If you're looking for insurance coverage for your rental properties, the company that I trust is Ross Diversified Insurance Services, a national insurance agency that has been providing insurance coverage for real estate investors for over 30 years. Whether it's a rental or a fix and flip, Check out biggercashflow.com slash RDIS to get your property quoted today. When you're purchasing your first rental property or the next, you want to work with an experienced lender who's got your best interest in mind. Sean Huss at TCF Bank has been a professional in the mortgage industry for over 25 years. With expertise in areas such as real estate sales and the mortgage closing process, Sean is able to provide comprehensive counsel to guide you throughout this often complicated process. Check out biggercashflow.com slash tcfbank to get pre-qualified for free when you mention the Bigger Cashflow podcast. Well, I, I do have to ask this question because you looked into Turnkey and you started doing your own thing. Now, I have a lot of listeners who call me and I, I probably take two, of, two or three phone calls a week just to provide my advice and two cents on certain investing matters. And there is that two school of thought. Hey, I'm gonna go turnkey or I'm gonna do the burst strategy because I learned it from bigger pockets. It's the best thing ever. 
I feel like there's these strategies are not really apples to apples and depending mm-hmm. on your situation and the lifestyle that you want, you should go A or B, or you could start turnkey and then transition to Burr, vice versa. Now, in your opinion, what do you think an investor should be doing? Should they go turnkey versus the Burr strategy? What is kind of like the pros and cons of doing so? Yeah, so uh, this actually kind of gets me to a, a bigger question that I ask a lot of people who, who come to me for mentorship and is like, what are, what are your actual high level goals here, right? And I, I think that that's really what, what kind of comes down to. Um, like, are you looking for a passive investment in kind of like a historically high performant asset in real estate? Or are you looking to build a business out of this and want to maximize your t- returns? with with the the effect that you're going to end up putting in a lot of work and effort into that and so that's kind of the the, the school of thought that i kind of come by because because there are also other ways to to get into real estate and also command fairly good returns through the through syndications and, and other sort of um you know larger larger ventures there and um that gets into like accredited investors and so that that might not be an opportunity for everyone but um, I, I think, I think it comes back to kind of like, what are your goals in real estate? So, um, if you're just looking for passive income in real estate, there are ways to do that without having to go through all the work, um, and, 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 you know, kind of do all the things that you and I have done over the past couple of years. Cause it's, it is a lot of work, even though, you know, collecting that rent check is technically passive, but you're effectively running a business for, for, um, when you're building a portfolio, portfolio, the way that, that both of us have done, um, and yeah, so, so that, that's kind of like how I end up looking for it. And, and if, if you kind of have that entrepreneurial side to you and, and you're able to kind of push yourself on, on that side, I think it is worth kind of going down the portfolio route where, um, you know, you, you're really going to start to build this and you can kind of speed everything up on that sense. If you kind of have a higher paying W-2 job and you are looking to just kind of invest more passively, but not necessarily in the stock market, there are ways to do that without having to go build your own portfolio yourself. Um, I think I diverged a little bit from the question you were asking, which was more like, do you go for like the Burr approach or turnkey? Um, I, I think for, for me, like I, if, if I was going down the route of I'm looking to build this as a business, I want to make that business as successful as possible. With turnkey, you're, you're definitely going to be leaving some meat on the bone, so to speak. Um, because you're getting it in, in just that a turnkey fashion. And so, um, and then there's also, you know, it's just harder to find better deals when you, when you get a turnkey. So I think, I think it kind of depends there. I, my preference is definitely, if you are going to go the route of buying and and managing your own properties, you might as well get as big of returns, you know, maximize those returns there. And and that's where the the burst strategy kind of comes in. And so that's what I've kind of taken into place. Although as you continue to grow your portfolio, um, you know, you don't necessarily need to, to grab that 25%, you know, all your money back uh, each time. And, and if that's the case, then turnkey does work pretty well. So I think those are kind of the trade-offs. It depends on where you are in your investing kind of um, journey there. And, you know, if you have the capital and you don't need to pull out every single penny every time in order to keep growing your portfolio, turnkey is not a bad option because, you're able to, you know, continue to build cash flow. You're getting properties that require very little work, uh, you know, when, when you get them and that, that all minimizes your risk while still being able to move forward. Yep. No, I think you hit the nail on the head with my question. It's interesting because I started turnkey 
I did the birth strategy and now reflecting where I'm at, I am definitely open to investing in turnkey again uh, because it really depends on the return on my time as well. Um, (laughs) Because I have built a team with agents and contractors, property managers and whatnot, uh, if there's a good deal, then I am for sure doing the Burr method. But there's a turnkey provider that I trust and I love to buy from them. I've bought five from them and I'll continue to buy from them because I know they do high quality work and I'm only coming at the end. So if I have liquid capital just sitting there, I don't want to put it in the stock market. I don't want to put it in a CD or savings account. I'm just going to put it into a turnkey property at 10% cash on cash. And I'll do that all day because yeah, I'll get different ways of income, cash flow, tax, um, the benefits, appreciation, mortgage pay down and leverage. That's another big thing that I talk about on my podcast. I'm not talking about leverage up the, up the wazoo and put yourself in so much debt um, that you like refi till you die. I know a lot of real estate investors do that, but I'm talking about leverage in the sense of interest rates are dirt cheap right now. So the dollar, uh, it's a hedge against inflation. You lock in that loan 80% in 2020 at 3%, 4% interest that same dollar goes a long, long way, especially if it's a 30 year fully amortizing loan, right? So- While it gets inflated away, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, don't get too focused on, oh, it's only 10%. I know ABC investor used to get 15% on turnkeys five years ago. Well, the interest rate probably is super low right now compared to when other investors were investing five, six, seven years ago as well. So, right there's that inversion. So without getting off topic yeah. too much, I think there's, it's important to see the big picture, right? Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, and as, as you continue to grow your portfolio, your, the value of your time and, you know, kind of the, the ability to churn through ch- properties can, can outweigh kind of trying to squeeze every penny out of, out of kind of a renovation. And that's, that's kind of what I've realized. And that, that is something that I've kind of shifted from from the beginning is i'm focusing more i'll take less on the profit um side if i can get something out and done quickly because like you said you're able to leverage you're able to add to that cash flow get that wheel spinning collect that investing momentum Um, and that's kind of one one area where i actually have quite shifted my thoughts there nice nice so yeah i feel i feel like we're we're definitely on the same page when it comes to investing well in terms of scalability, I feel like nobody just buys one rental property and says, Hey, I'm done. You know, this two, $300 <laughs> is amazing. It, it might pay for your, you know, car lease or whatnot, but it's, it's not enough to retire on. Right. So a lot of people who buy rental properties want to scale up. Now, a big constraint of that, especially if you're buying turnkey is capital because you know, you put 20% down on a couple of these sooner or later, unless you have a rich uncle, giving you millions of dollars, you're going to run out of money. That's why a lot of people opt for the birth strategy. For you, uh, do you have any advice on people looking to scale? How did you do it? Did you use private money? Did you just save aggressively? I know living in the Bay Area, the cost of living is high, but also the salaries are very competitive. Do you have any advice for our listeners? Yeah, so I, I kind of took a, a hybrid approach there. Um, like I said, the, the first property I bought in cash and I didn't do anything else while I, until I was completely um, like fully executed the business plan there, which was refinancing eventually. So I, I, while well, I did purchase and do the rehab with cash, 
I refinanced as quickly as possible um, and, and was able to, you know, get a lot of that, that capital right back out. Um, and then I was able to go do that again. Um, and, and so, so yeah, after my first one, like I said, I wanted to minimize risk by buying all cash, but then I actually took quite a bit of time and interviewed tons and tons of, you know, hard money lenders slash private lenders. They all call themselves something different, but they end up, you know, they're all the same thing from that perspective. Um, and, and through several different brokers, I was able to find a pretty good option through the, you know, looking at the, the Corvest, the finance of America's uh, out, that are out there. Um, and one key thing was the fact that I had one under my belt was really huge there. That, that gets you kind of past this first barrier um, where you can kind of start talking with these types of people and get reasonable terms. Um, so, so that's kind of where I look next was looking at a, a bridge lender or a hard money lender as you, you could call it. Um, and, and that's where I went next. And so with that, I was able to secure this line of credit product that they offer um, where I was able to get 90% loan to cost. And then, um, you know, w was able to get reasonable interest rate. I don't know, something like 10% um, for that 10% with 90% coverage. And that, that's how I was able to start paralyzing and do multiple at the same time. Um, and, and so, so that's, that's kind of the route I ended up taking uh, was using that. And then, you know, we'd go through and then this would be your classic burr where you, you, you take the bridge, um, you put a fairly low amount down, you, you do the rehab, and then you, you know, get that rented and refinance out as soon as possible. Um, and so, so that's kind of the approach I ended up doing. And that's, that's, that's how I did the next uh, two properties. And that was going really well, but I, I still kind of wanted to, there's kind of the elusive private lender that people always talk about, where it's like this individual person that you would go to, to be able to, you know, finance your, your stuff. And I, I kind of thought that was a farce uh, after, you know, kind of doing a ton of research after that, but I actually did end up being connected with an individual private lender um, who's an individual. And I honestly consider him as one of my great mentors on the financial side of things now, but um so he's kind of been able to kind of allow me to scale even more because we have a personal relationship. He kind of just looks at the deal, looks and, and knows me and, and we have a, a trusted relationship there. So I'm able to put much lower down than some of these even, even other programs because I've, I've had an established track, track record with them. And that's how I've gotten up to the 13 doors that I have currently um, uh, through, through that, that type of a method. Um, the thing in, in terms of people always ask me, how do you find a private lender uh, in an area? And, and it's got to be very specific to the market because typically, you know, an individual is not going to really venture outside of their own market. So it's really just a matter of really getting, you know, networking in that area. Uh, and I, I did it from 2000 miles away. So if I can do it, anyone can do it. Um, but yeah, just, just focusing, reaching out to a lot of, I actually found this person through a wholesaler. So just asking like, oh, how are you guys, you know, have deals get financed? And um, that's how I ended up connecting with him. Um, it was more like an interview when I, I talked to him at first. So I really had to sell myself. Um, so, so it was kind of a, a very different approach. Usually it's like the lenders trying to sell themselves to you. And this, th with this private lender, it was more like this was a job interview and I had to kind of sell myself as to why he would want to work with me. But, you know, once you get the, the door in or in the door with someone like that, they can really kind of open up the floodgates for what you can do. So that's kind of allowed me to put really put the pedal to the metal in terms of, uh, you know, how we're able to do things. So that was really exciting when that kind of happened. Um, 
and he, he's also just been a great mentor um, across the board for me. So it's been very exciting. Nice, nice. And I think those are two additional bricks that Ross just talked about is number one, finding that core vest and getting that one property under your belt to be able to have that, those conversations to scale up those couple doors. And also another brick in terms of finding a private money lender through wholesale connections and just building a good track record and doing what you uh, say you're going to do, right? Now, I think from the private money side, the listeners might be wondering, hey, like why would anybody want to be a private money lender? And it's interesting, you really only connect the dots looking backwards. And now that I have invested, you know, in 63 units, I myself, I feel like I would be a private lender to other investors for various reasons. Like I have some liquid capital that I'm not using after I completed a flip, but I want to make a return on that money. Right. But if I don't have the next deal available, I have nothing to put that money into. However, I also, because I'm an investor, I don't like money that's sitting idle. I need these dollars to go out there, make an interest, make dollar friends and come back to me with more money. Right. And real estate is something that I understand because I've been on the other side of it. So if there's an asset, you know, backed investment deal for 60% uh, leverage, then I'll do that deal all day. Right. So if you really think right. about it from the other person's shoe, having that conversation with a prospective private lender is going to be really easy because at the end of the day, it's not you, you are convincing them uh, because you have to show them your track record. But you're giving them an opportunity. They're going to make money. It's not like you're taking things from them. You're actually giving them a good return. So anything else to add on that private lender conversation? No, I mean, I, I definitely like, I, as you talk to people who are higher and higher up that food chain, you, you realize that actually everyone wants to be the lender. So yeah, <laughs> as exactly. you continue to go down that route, you'll, you'll see that that's actually like a very great spot to be. I mean, you basically get, you get points instantly when you close, right? So, so that's like very high rate of return there. You're, if you're doing these type of bridge private loans, you're talking six to 12 month you know, periods where your, your cash is out and then it'll come back. That's a huge advantage means you're, you're relatively higher, you have relatively higher liquidity, and then you're making, you know, 10% interest on, on that during that period of time with a asset backed, you know, in an, in an asset backed investment. Um, so I think there's a lot of really great things about that. So, so yeah. And it, while your risk is, is relatively fairly low as well. So um, as you start to think about it, and as you talk to people higher up the food chain, you realize that is a good spot to be in. So, so yeah, don't ever feel bad about, about working with someone like that because they're, they're doing just as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's this book, if you're interested about learning more about what Ross just said and why people want to be the banker, um, it's a book called The Banker's Code by George Anton. That's a great read. I would definitely check that out. Um, you'll ultimately see why it's kind of like the cash flow quadrant, but I feel like it's a step above that in terms of the thought process, like, you know, why banks really want to lend you money and all that in the, in the macroeconomic scheme of things. So it's definitely a good book. So check that out. So we're nearing the end of our show. And I, I definitely feel like a lot of our listeners will have gotten really tangible advice in terms of finding a market, how to get started, how to build those building blocks uh, for them to build a portfolio. Is there anything else that we may not have covered on this episode that you want to share uh, words of wisdom for our listeners? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think I think don't be afraid uh, of leverage. I think there's there's definitely a lot of different schools of thought, and and I think you would agree with me that like yeah, leveraging out the wazoo is not a good thing. And you know, if you're just taking on debt without you know that that's not having a return on it, that that's not that's not what I'm talking about here. But um, yeah, not being afraid to you know go out and and get into some several of these different mortgages because I, I I have a lot of people who sometimes are like, oh, you have like 12 different mortgages. Like, are you scared about that? And, <laughs> and my answer is no. It's because, you know, I've I've made smart decisions in these investments and they're they have enough cash flow overhead, you know, in a in a in an area where rents don't change very fast, right? So so you, you basically have fixed profits that that don't change very quickly even in COVID. So I mean, in COVID, I had one tenant out of 13 who were unable to pay throughout this whole thing. Um, I had one that was kind of struggling, but you know, they worked with me and we were able to get them back right on track, even through all this. So um, I think COVID is literally the worst, the, the, the biggest extreme of what can happen to rents. And, and that's, that's kind of the, the most extreme end of it. Um, it just doesn't change very fast. And so if you, if you go in there with the right margins or the right cash flow on top of it, then, you know, leverage is, is a great thing in that, in that sense. It's really allowing you to compound and get that wheel, just that financial wheel turning so that you can get, get on, get along faster on that financial freedom path. Yep. And because you brought up COVID, I, I have to mention, you know, we're talking about risk as well. And I think a lot of my people around me who were impacted by COVID, either their self um, self-employed, like entrepreneurs who had businesses impacted, shut down, furloughed their W-2 workers, and they got laid off or uh, furloughed. That to me is more risky, right? So putting your eggs in one basket, right. I'm a W-2 worker, 401k. Don't even get me started on 401k. You can't even extract <laughs> it like you you need it to, right? I, I cashed mine out this year, which is actually a great, great time to do it because of COVID IRS loss, but that's a whole separate su subject. <laughs> oh, no, I love that. Yeah, definitely research that, guys. Um, but yeah, like there, I have friends coming to me now post-COVID and be like, hey, I want to learn how to invest in real estate. These same guys eight months ago at the beginning of the year, it's like, hey, I just got promoted to supervisor or I got promoted to manager. I'm making six figures. They're, you know, in their late 20s. They're making good money. Uh, don't get me wrong. Climbing up corporate, corporate America is not bad. You make good money. You, if you live well below your means, yeah, you can save enough to retire when you're 60, right? However, those same friends who either got laid off or furloughed, they're like scared as, you know, scared as shit. They're like, hey, Bo, I have no control. I have no control over where a pandemic hits and I lose my job and my lifestyle just gets shaken up. Like I want to have control. So like me and my wife, thankfully we got to keep our jobs during the pandemic, but honestly, we weren't that scared. Like if something were to happen, we'll be like, okay, we'll take off some time. We'll figure out what we want to do. We'll probably go back to the workforce because we're not ready to retire yet. And we like what we do. But because of the passive income from the rental properties, we, we had nothing to fear. Um, so I think this is just another reminder. Risk is really relative. You might be wondering, hey, Bo, you have a ton of mortgages. Ross, you have a lot of mortgages. Aren't you scared? Well, I think those of you who have lived through COVID now, we're still living it right now. Risk is very relative in terms of how you're educated, the decisions that you've made, 
and how you are spending your time and money. All right, I'm off my soapbox now. I, I definitely had to share that just because, you know, I have people come in to me and be like, what you're doing is so risky and you have no control and all that jazz. So anyways, um, so definitely want you want totally agree there. <laughs> yeah. Our listeners to get to know more about what you do. I know you have a great blog, social media following. Um, let our listeners know where they can learn more about you. Yeah. So my website's a great spot. Um, I actually have, you know, quite a bit of resources out there. I, I'm a software uh, programmer. So recently I, I started playing around with some kind of automating scripting to, to kind of try to generate leads in a, in a certain zip code. So uh, if you're interested in something like that, uh, feel free to go on our website, www.engineeredcashflow.com. Uh, sign up on the, the email list there and uh, I'd be happy to give you the, the list of that automatic download. And then um, also, I, I think Bo's probably a great resource for this as well. But um, after doing this and, and, you know, talking to a ton of different lenders, a bunch of different, you know, going through a bunch of different contractors and this and that, uh, I have templates for almost anything you can imagine. I've also done wholesaling flips um, marketing campaigns, the whole work. So if, if, if you need, need some sort of template, I get people all the time texting me or emailing me asking for a template. I have a lot of these happy to share them. So uh, also able to reach out through the website or social media to get that as well. Uh, we're on Facebook engineered cash flow, um, and Instagram at engineered cash flow as well. Awesome. Hope to see you guys all on there. Thanks Ross. I'm going to have to check it out myself. I'm, I'm intrigued. Um, learning more about kind of like that lead generation that you just talked about. So I'll have all that information and more on the show notes for this episode. If you thought that was helpful, please do me a favor and leave me a review on iTunes. We'll see you right back here next week for another exciting episode of the Bigger Cashflow Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Bigger Cashflow Podcast. Please remember that opinions of the guests are their own and nothing on this show should be considered personal or professional advice. Please consult your tax, legal, or financial advisor for personal advice that fit your unique situation. See you next time.